Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Terrace Book Club. It's a new era. This is version 2.0, so to speak. We'll maybe occasionally keep the the old format where we had uh, we have authors on to sell their wares and, and talk about uh, new stuff they've got doing. But uh, this is a new era. It's a new format uh, where we're going to have a guest on who's going to come and speak. Uh, who's going to nom- come and nominate their favourite football book, their favourite sports book, and then their just favourite book overall. And let's be honest. Let's let's try something out. Proof of concept. Who's better to do it than Terrace head honcho Craig Fowler? So Craig, welcome to to the book club two point Welcome to the, the the library, I suppose. Thank you very much, Duncan. Thank you for having me on this right, so, podcast uh, that I'm, uh, I'm recording. <laughs> yes, uh, the pro- but yeah, a podcast that you're recording uh, and and did all uh, did all the setup and everything else. Yes, um, uh, it feels very much like. An uninvited house guest taking over <laughs> and telling you how to, to to run run your house. No, no, it's an uninvited house guest coming in, uh, I know, yeah, taking okay. over and telling yeah, me how to run my house. <laughs> so basically, like when your your parents come over, sort of like, like you, know, ah, like, yeah, 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 you yeah. can't even relax in your own house. Yeah. So before we start, we've got the new format. We're going to uh, see how things go. It may evolve uh, as we go. But how how big a task did you find that? Like, I I I, I then I'm saying that because. I didn't want to ask the question, Craig, are you a reader? Because uh, that sounds absolute wank. But uh, yeah, so how, how did you find this task of of uh, selecting a book for each category? It was it was very tough. So we get to the third category. We, we get to that. I'll basically explain. It. It's not my favourite book ever. That's not a sports book. Because look at this first episode, and he's already messing with the uh, the format. <laughs> but I couldn't think. Like, there's honestly. There's only one book I've read in my life twice. So it's different from movies. Like movies, if you're seeing your favourite movie, I think like rewatchability comes into it. And if you mm-hmm. if you really love a movie, then you will watch it. it, it especially if you're somebody like me, you will watch it. Like Jurassic Park is probably... It's either, mine's either like Jurassic Park, Shawshank, the Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction. I've seen all of them at least 10 times. Jurassic Park and Jaws as well. 
Jurassic Park probably 15 times. My uh, original copy of uh, Goodfellas on DVD uh, was so old that it was one of those ones where you had to turn over halfway through. True story. <laughs> that's, that's, how you, that's how in on it I was. Uh, I think I had something like that. I can't remember which one. But yeah, so movies are very different, but it's books. It's There's always, I mean, I suppose it's the same with movies, but a book is a, a lot bigger commitment, isn't it? Because, well, some of us don't read as quickly as you do, Duncan, but I... Probably, I probably average about a book a month. I, I do read consistently in that uh, I'll always have a book at one time that I am reading. And some years ago through where I'm, well, it, it kind of depends on the book. If I, I'm very much a completionist when it comes to book as well, but if, uh, if I pick one up that I'm not enjoying, then It's I, hard to let go. You're a bit I, like Ma- bit Magnus It's hard Magnus to let go, in. but at the I, same I, time... I started, so finish. Yeah, it's hard to let go, but also at the same time it kind of puts me off from reading. So there'll be some times where, like, if I'm really enjoying a book, then, like, say any time I go to the... the say any time I go to the toilet. Let's let's just get it out there. Any time I go to the toilet, or any time I'm, like, on public transport, or if just I've finished watching something and there's a bit of time before bed, I'll pick the book back up because I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. Let's, let's get back into this again. But if I'm not enjoying it, then what I'd probably do instead in all those things is look at my phone but still not just move on for the book. So I do kind of, so this year I've been very good. I've, been, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed a lot of the books I've read. So I've gone through a lot more this, this year than I have maybe in, in, in recent years. But like us, basically going back to your initial question, because I don't have, because I've only reread the book once, because there's always more books, there's always more books to read. I've got a bookcase right behind me that's probably got, I don't know, 30, 40 books that I've never read, and I'm, I plan on reading because I recently gave a lot of books to the charity shop. So I just had too many. So I do actually plan on reading them, but what will end up happening is I'll buy five more and read three of them, and then they'll get added to the pile. Uh, I'm only going to say the, the, the struggle is real on that. The struggle is absolutely real. So to, to say my favourite book ever, my favourite book ever is probably my favourite football book ever. And then to differentiate all the ones that were not football, I've read lots, like really lots, of American sports books, like about NFL, uh, particularly NBA teams, and a, a couple of MLB ones as well. And there was a couple that stood out, but again, it was trying to differentiate, right, which one did I enjoy more? And then the, the, when, when we get to there was one that kind of came to me, it was like, oh yeah, that, yeah. that is actually the number one. So, but that, that, took a, that took a couple of days for that one to pop back into my head. And and that's the whole point of the the podcast is it's very much a favorite rather than what you think is the best or like it's yeah and you know, like you said there are people who regularly reread books I, I'm kind of in the same camp as you I don't there's very few books that I've reread mainly because the to, to my to read pile is intimidating uh, and so I'm like well and also there's a, there's an element of like specialness you get like if I think of a book. It take I can almost it takes me back to where I would be reading it whether that was like you know if someone like if, and because I'm very very cool I keep a spreadsheet of all the books I read but if someone was to go through that and then be like oh this book it, you know uh, and I have been keeping this since about uh, 2007 so it, it, it's uh, it's fulsome I would probably be able to like I've got a fixed place in my mind of where that was like even if I was only reading that in that place for five minutes but uh, mm. I was re- you know like but the the almost. Universally, I've got like a book, and it reminds me of a place. 
uh, which is quite a, um, I don't know if that's a usual habit. Listeners, tell us. Um, I, I'm trying to think about my own. There's, I, I do know, ah, yeah, I do know kind of what you mean. There's a book I've got, it's about the, 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 the again, it's probably one of the few baseball ones I've read, but it's called If They Don't Win, It's a Shame. It's about the 1997 Florida Marlins where they spent loads of money basically spent lots of money because the owner was trying to get fans to come to the games and then the plan was they were going to build a new stadium off the back of that. So they spent loads of money, assembled the team that eventually won the World Series that year. Ultimately, he just went, nah, sold the team, they stayed in the shit stadium for, for years and I don't think they got their own kind of ball, like... They custom. do now, yeah, but 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 US Sports yeah, Stadium is a total, total grift. So, like, yeah, yeah, and the, the, maybe one day we'll get to book around, around that. But I remember reading that on holiday when I went to... It was my first lad's holiday, so I was sitting by the side of the pool. I was reading, I was reading that. So that, every time I look at that, it takes me back to that. I wouldn't say it happens with every book, but there is, like, there's... Yeah, there's a, a, a book, uh, NBA, Just Ball, just no, not Just Ball, and it's the, it was the one, Blood in the Garden. Oh yeah, yeah, that's meant to be so, great. Aye, and that, that took me back to reading that when I was staying with my ex's, staying at my ex's mum's house while uh, my house was getting renovated, so that's, maybe I should throw that out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I do know what you mean, there, is, there are certain books I've got that do take me back to times when, when I was reading them. Yeah. Right, so let's just get started then. Why not? Like, let's go. We go keeping it football related because this is, after all, is a is a football podcast. What is your favourite football book? And again, we're going to probably try. I don't know. We've not talked about this, so I'm just springing it on you now. But some sort of visual representation of this uh, massive hall of fame of books that we're building. I don't know how it's going to. It's probably going to be a bookshelf. There we go. But yes, yes, your favourite book, favourite football book, even. Sorry, Fowler. I hope you're keeping the spreadsheet then. Oh, of course, an, an opportunity to keep a new spreadsheet. But that's more, more, more probably more exciting than doing the podcast itself. So, my favourite football book, my favourite sports book, my favourite book ever. The I, I said the only book I've read twice. I actually remember I have read another one twice as well, but it, it doesn't compare to this at all. Beth, it is Chip Nick... and Kipper doesn't count. <laughs> it is Nick Hornby's Fever Pitch. I mean, I, I, th- I don't think that will be uh, the last time that it's selected as a book. It is absolutely seminal. I think it has, a, has had both an impact on, on football writing in Britain and maybe potentially across the world, but also had an impact on, on the book industry because there was a, there's a feeling that, oh, actually, there's quite a lot of people who go to football and they're not all Neanderthals. Um, mm. Funny that. Mm, interesting. Why is it that you, as a Spurs fan, nominally, uh, have have have, uh, have picked a, a book about about Arsenal as a bit? Because well, I'm going to say that it's not really about Arsenal. Is it? yeah. It's more about it's more about fandom to a degree, and also just about being a human being. But I'll, I'm cutting across you there, aren't I? So yeah, yeah, you're, but you're right. You're right. It is that is the that is what is so good about the book is that it really. It really helps explain. It helps explain the unexplainable, which is why do you care so much about this team, this game? Why does it do these ridiculous things to you? Why does, like, I'm just thinking back to the last year or the year before? No, last year, last April, like the the longest forty five minutes of my life was that second half of that semi final between. 
Hearts and Hibs at Hamden. I, I, I felt like it went on forever. I, I was not enjoying myself. It was a horrible experience. Begging the time to hurry up and the full-time whistle to go. Couldn't stand the thought of Robbie Nielsen chucking away another two-goal lead to Hibs, especially if it was a semi-final at Hamden. And it's just, it's kind of one of those moments where that little rational part of your brain that is usually completely turned off when it comes to football started going, why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> and when you explain that to the people, like, it was horrible. And, like, do this all the time when it's around about a big game. And you, I, could, I say this all the time, like, this is torture. This is torture. I hate this. This is torture. <laughs> it's like, why do you bother doing it? And it's hard to explain yourself. And Fever Pictures, a book, they just it perfectly expresses what is, what, why, why you care so much, but also doing it in a way that's, that's really humorous and, and lighthearted. And it, it's not, it's not a serious book at all. It's quite a funny book mm-hmm. and it's, a, it's perfect for me as well. And it's it probably done a lot in terms of what's the, the term I'm looking for. Like there was, there was probably three in terms of like people who listen to the terrace and watch a view for the terrace and that kind of irreverent kind of look upon it upon like football or Scottish football in our case that like as you say it's the most important least important thing in the world and that's not the case for, for a lot of people a lot of people take football in my opinion far too seriously. <laughs> And don't, uh, don't, uh, yes, I, I, I agree. I agree. Don't, don't, don't usually like to laugh at it as much as I do. And that's why I, could, I don't think I could ever be a... I could probably do co-commentary for, for a game again. I've kind of made my piece that I don't think I could ever be a commentator because I don't think I could be that serious for 90 minutes. There's just too many stupid things that happen within football games that deserve to be laughed at. And as a made commentator, you can't really do that. But what made me a football fan the way I am? Uh, three things. One was my dad. My dad's pretty much the exact same. He kind of laughs at a lot of it, and yeah, he does get excited and shout at referees. So die as well. Sometimes the emotion can take over, but for the most part, he has a more of a detached view than your uh, average fan, I suppose. This book was certainly along those lines. I got the book from my dad, and it was probably much the first book I read as well, though like it wasn't made to read as part of anything to do with school. I think I read it when I was in, I think it might be either P7 or first year. And then I reread it again when I was in my mid twenties. I should actually, I'm due to read it again. I should, I think I might actually order it, and then I'll give it to my partner afterwards and see. There you go. Let's see if you can let's see if this helps you understand. <laughs> so Nick, Nick Hornby's fever pitch, the the almost like a, a user manual. Yeah. For for and, dealing and with the, a, with an emotionally stunted uh, people involved in football, basically. Yes. And the third thing that I that, that helped kind of helped formulate who I was as a, a football fan and how I saw the game was Danny Baker's own goals and gaffs videos. Gavs, gaffs, gaffs. And so, like all those three, just getting raised me, like to to basically to care a lot about football, and uh, certainly at a younger age, I was I affected my mood far more than I'd like to admit now. But that at the same time, I still was very much able to laugh at all, and that that was, and this book played a part in that. Yeah, so do you want to maybe just give a, a sort of an outline of what the what the book is actually all about? Is that was that is that helpful? Yeah, because so there will be some people that that it, I think there's an element of books this happens to it and some albums as well is that they are so influential that they spawn so many things after them 
and then if you've not read it originally in its in its context people i can imagine some, someone might read fever pitch after reading a whole host of books about football fandom in the in the, the decade since because it was it was the early 90s this was was or you mid mid 90s when this was published that would look at it and be like well this is a bit it feels like a weak sauce i suppose more than anything which is like I think that I think because it's it's uh, had such an influence on so many other writers and right. their ability to talk about football. I've still not read anything as it's really kind of encapsulated it quite as as well mm. as that. I would say, although like I said, I've not read it since my mid twenties, so I, I should maybe go back to it and I might reappraise. But it, the book is essentially like it's funny because it was his first book, but it was essentially like a memoir. It was like a memoir of somebody's life who wasn't famous or had done anything particularly interesting to that point. But the the book is, it's around football. It's like mm. him growing up and, and football being in his life. So the book is mainly about football, but it, it's told through a lens of him growing up, of him having his first experience of going to a match. It, it was, I'm trying to remember if it was just the film, but no, I'm sure it was in the book as well with the, his, his parents separating. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely part of the book. Yeah, because I think it's this idea that he... I mean, there's definite elements of it where it, you, he's probably middle class. Like, I th- yeah, definitely oh, yeah, middle yeah. class. Like that. But but the idea up until this point was that 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 no middle class people went to football, which was yeah. kind of ludicrous and and wasn't the case. And it's it's kind of yeah, it's about the like when he first goes to these games about it's about getting the the bug basically the bite that that I always remember one part about that he said that his first game it was a. Uh, Arsenal won one nil from a penalty re penalty retake or a penalty rebound. I think it might have been a penalty rebound. And his dad took him to Spurs the next week, and that was so this was sixties. Mm. This was like Spurs with like Jimmy Greaves in the team and Spurs absolutely annihilated somebody five one, but he was like, but it was too late by that point. I was already in love with the, the team that won one nil thanks to a, a penalty rebound. And I think that's how he ends a, a chapter. It's full of stuff like that. Like there was one that I remember he's it was a game, it was a midweek game. I think it might have been a cup game. And it got to his bedtime. And so his mum said, no, you, you need to go to bed. And he's like, well, I want to find out the score. And she was like, no, you need to go to bed. And so she, she wrote a note for him. So when he first woke up, it was a score. And it was like, Arsenal got beat, exclamation mark. And it was like, <laughs> the exclamation mark on it. It was like, you may as well have said, Nan died in her sleep, exclamation mark. <laughs> And then it's about him growing up and going to university and then meeting, uh, I don't know if it's a girlfriend or wife. And it's just like, and each chapter is like a game and how that then goes around his life. But the games aren't necessarily, there are some big ones in there, but they're not like necessarily the biggest. He's not just done a book of the biggest football games of his life. He's done a book about his life and then what was the football game around that time, which I think we can... Every single person listening to this must be able to relate to that because I do it. Like, I'd, there's so many aspects of my life where I can think, like, to what the nearest football game was. Yeah, and also if you were like, doing a bit of your life and and relating it to Hearts, people would expect the, 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 there'd be certain points in that. But actually, the, that that's not how life works as well. Is it, you, if you were in sync with your football club, that would be 
awful like to be honest like you know because because you know if you're well, especially if you're a scottish football fan like you would be <laughs> you would be miserable more often than not unless you, uh, uh, and then i would also not explain um celtic and rangers fans who win all the time and are yet even more angry than anyone else well yeah that's that's a part of the book as well where he says like the basic the, the set function of a football fan is basically like misery yeah well, I mean, yeah, and I think so you're, you're the top or you're last, basically, aren't you? You're, you're, ultimately, it is disappointment. Yeah, we've kind of conditioned ourselves in Scottish football if we're not a Celtic Rangers fan. To third is kind of some sort of weird happiness. We're not really that happy, but you're you're, you're, you're happier. Contentment. That's that's yeah, what we it's, it's, that's what we we should all be seeking, not not happiness. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's I I'm due. I think I have read Fever Pitch twice because I think similarly. I think the first time I read it, I was relatively young like I dad had a, I remember it, you know it was one of those things that you you know, when you're younger especially you you buy you, you god bless uh total football in 90 minutes and uh, scottish football today or all and uh, all these all these dearly departed um you know adult football magazines that, that existed as opposed to like match and shoot and that was all you know it was one of these things that was always talked about in there and, and you see your dad's got a copy of it you read it and stuff and I think probably a lot of it went over my head. And then rereading it in my my twenties, you're like, ah, this is a lot more interesting and and potentially a lot more subversive and, and so well so well written as well. And uh, you know, it's not surprising that Cornby has gone on to have the the career he has. And I think that I think it'll be interesting as as this podcast series goes on in terms of I I suspect that some of the best writers about football and about sport are people that don't necessarily write all the time about football and sport. I think there's, uh, I think a detachment uh, from it is is healthy, and I also suspect that fandom is is a better better thing to observe these uh, genres through rather than than professionalism. If that makes sense. Mm, yeah, I think the thing you say as well is that football's like, so it was released in nineteen ninety two. Football's changed massively since then, but you can still, I mean, some of the things will, will have changed within it, like. Terms of some of the kind of specifics in terms of how you talk about footballers and clubs and stuff, and you know there'll be no mention of Sky Sports, for instance, and blah blah blah. But the the pure emotion, it's still it's not changed. And then, yeah, yeah, and and, and, le- and less. I mean, it's now it's never been a, a, a favorite, but the less having to talk about hooliganism is also a factor that that, yeah. is, that exists less. So yes, uh, Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby is the first football entrant. And I would imagine you'd have had it for your uh, favourite sports book as well. But favourite sports uh, book, favourite book, favourite event. But uh, I'm not allowing you to do that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what is your favorite sports book? So my favorite sports book that is not favorite pitch is... I'm trying to get the right title here. Right, okay, yeah. So it is Seabiscuit, an American legend by Laura Hillenbrand. So Seabiscuit is a horse. That is all I know. Uh, and it was made into a film featuring... Have I'm you not say, read this? So I, I, I have I've bought it, it's, but it's one of those ones that's, that's sitting on the, my to-read to read list. Really read and it is, really, it is really high up, uh, you know, in terms of... It always ranks very highly in, you know, the, the whenever GQ in their latest clickbait or whatever do their the best uh, sports books or non-fit. It actually is one of those books that uh, often features, even without sports lists, it often features in just the best non-fiction books it's, it's an, of it's all time. It really is so, an incredible book. So here we go, Fowler, sell it to me. So Seabiscuit was a very famous American horse. I, I can't remember, I'm not going to go into the details, and I'm, I, I forgot to look them up exactly what the horse won, but it won several famous American horse races at a time where horse racing was still a massive deal. It was, I think, in something mental, like in 1939, Seabiscuit got more column inches than Hitler, like in, in American papers. Like, that was how huge this this horse was. And it, is, it was kind of an underdog story as well, because... It was kind of it had like really kind of shorter legs and shouldn't have been shouldn't have been as good a, a racehorse as Seabiscuit was. That, but somehow through will and just kind of kind of one of these books that when you because you you can often be conflicted about the whole kind of well style Grand National I think is a bit kind of beyond the pale uh, by this point. But like there's other aspects of horse racing where you're like hmm wonder how much the horse enjoys this but i think there are sea biscuit certainly the book certainly paints a picture of a horse that was kind of born to race and, and loved to race and loved the kind of competitive aspect of it and it's also this it also just fills you in a lot on the culture like i didn't really know much and i don't think things have i, I imagine they've improved a bit but i didn't know how like the culture of like jockeys and that, that kind of lifestyle in terms of barely eating and being quite poor and there's there's like a lot of stuff in the book that's a bit kind of hard hitting but the main reason it stands out the writing for the races is incredible it is when you're reading it it's like watching i've not seen the film but i would be surprised if the movie even managed to elicit the same sort of like heart pounding gripping tension when it's describing it. It really goes into incredible detail to describe these races and at the same time makes them so like you're you feel like you're you're standing in the bookies with a betting slip in your hand wanting this horse to win by the time it comes to kind of the later chapters of the book. You are properly invested and you're basically like, come on! God, like you've almost like got the whip yourself, basically. Wait, wait, which, which is an incredible achievement in a 
to do that in a in a narrative nonfiction story, you know, in terms of that you you must have a, like when it, if it's fiction, it can go anywhere you like. But in narrative nonfiction like that, there will be significance behind everything you're reading. If you that makes sense, you know that it's not yeah. there. That you know, it's not there by accident. So yeah, that because I often find in a lot of sports books when it does the description of action, that's when it actually become it can lose you and become a bit boring. And especially if it's biographies of, of players or whatever, and, and, you know, and any hit, uh, you know, baseball ones are completely bad for that in terms of, and then he drove, uh, you know, and then, and then the next stop, they were in Philadelphia. And you know, it, it's getting you along, but it doesn't, it's not fulfilling as a read. And I remember reading that the author struggled, or probably uh, still struggles, with chronic fatigue. Mm. So, and certainly was at the time of writing the book, and I don't want to peddle the whole kind of myth of like, oh, you know, great suffering brings great art. Mm. But I do wonder whether that played a role in just how well written and how great these wee bits of detail that you often miss in the kind of big sporting moments, but you, but you could see them and you could read body language and stuff like that. There's just so many little bits like that. You're know, like, how did you? And there might there might be a bit of artistic flair to it, but okay, it's a book. Who cares? But I wonder, like, the fact that she was like bedridden for so long and kind of had had maybe maybe other authors would have rushed through those parts, but she obviously had more of the time to like because she didn't really have much to to do. Kind of like um, Bill and Sebastian's. Uh, was oh, it, Stuart uh, Murdoch. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, because he, yeah, he had, what's it called? My friend also had, uh, when he was a teenager, and I don't want to say it, say what I was thinking, because that's wrong. But I know what you mean. Emmy? Uh, Emmy, that's it. That's exactly it. Yes, yes, Emmy. That took far too long for us to both get. <laughs> but, so we, it has been adapted into film, and you're a film guy, but you... you is uh, have you deliberately just not sought it out because because you know the book? I can just imagine and, and it's a Hollywood film. I can imagine there's some fucking shite love story that's been pushed into it. It's absolutely like just not what the book's about at all. So that's that's probably why. It's, I mean, do you know what? I'm actually going to look it up now. The film, see what kind of rating it's Toby, got. It's might... to- Toby Maguire, isn't it? See, aye, that's another thing. I'm not really like Toby Maguire either. I don't really like his face. I think yeah, but also. Seven point three. Yeah, okay, maybe. There's also there's also an element that Hollywood Hollywood uh, Hollywood doing films uh, doesn't doesn't have a good track record of in terms of doing it well. I think that'd be a, a fair yeah. comment. And again, yeah, you're right. Is that often there's human elements. You know, often often the case that the the the, the story's strong enough, and yet there's an injection of something else to make it seem i don't know more palatable to a wider audience or whatever and and, and that actually ends up being uh, detracting further from from the film but yeah i know sea biscuit is is certainly on the list so i will uh maybe return to that or maybe I'll, I'll move that further up the up the list as we go and then we move to our our final category which is your favorite book and you've already caveated that you're 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 fucking about with um <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, with, with what we're planning, what we're trying to do here, but that's uh, that's absolutely. <laughs> as to be fair, again with all these things, I like people messing with with, with formats, so so that's good. So 
what 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 took me what took you to like i don't actually have a favorite favorite book aside from fever pitch uh which would work for all three categories and then yeah you won't do that and then talk about the book that you have selected right so you want me to explain why i don't have it well i explained at the top like i've not really reread any books so there's like loads of there's like loads of like thrillers like i like a lot of like i don't know if trashy is the right words but kind of like, I read a lot of James Patterson books when I was younger, kind of went off him, but then I got a bit older, I started reading Christopher Brookmeyer, I've read loads of his books, really enjoyed them. I've read a lot of Har- Harlan Coben. That's kind of books I just kind of like to read where I just kind of fly through them. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Like, there's a, there's a reason why... There's a reason why they're popular. Yeah, there's a reason why things are popular sometimes. Like, there's, there's sometimes no account for taste. And, but, but then, but, but that, but also. None of these books particularly, like, spoke to me or anything like that. No, like, no, you know yeah, they didn't, didn't, didn't uh, change you as a human being. Um, yeah, and there's, there's other books that I've read that are quite good. Like, they're very good and I would recommend, but there's nothing that really just stood out in my mind. So I just wanted to. I thought, right, what is my, my favourite book that I've read this decade, for the last three years? So that's basically what I turn it down to because then that could be like okay i have an answer for that i don't have an answer if you're going back to when i started reading books consistently which would have been oh, I don't know, 16 or something so that's, Again, that's 20 biff, years a bit biff chip and kipper you know yeah that'd been one of those so my favorite book from the last three years in the 2020s is the young team by graham armstrong it is it is a very very good book very i'm i'm what a what it's, it's a, it sounds strange because it's a because de- it was a debut novel, but it, it there's a strange thing about it is, is there's so much potential that you see in a writer like that that you're kind of like, that when you when when you when I finished that I was I was kind of like that was really good, but I'm also quite excited about where where he's going to go next if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, but anyway, no, explain explain uh, the the premise of the book I suppose and and then also why why it spoke to you so much in uh, in this decade. So the book follows a character called Azzy Williams, who is from Airdrie. And it is basically, I think it's three timelines, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it starts when he basically becomes a member of the young team. And you can, I mean, you can roll your eyes at stuff like this if you are somebody that's not kind of, if you're unfamiliar with kind of the, these kind of areas, then it's something that is very easy to kind of, take the piss out of kind of the, the young team culture. I mean, we do it ourselves, don't we? Like, even though we're, we're a bit more empathetic, we still kind of take the piss out of like the YLT stuff and like, and do the, the signs and all that. But so it, it starts with him kind of joining that kind of culture. Uh, then kind of jumps to him being one of the kind of leaders of the group. And then it skips forward a few years after he's left and he, he's basically come back. To, to live in Airdrie and it's like I never I, I never really got involved with anything like that when I was younger but I grew up in an area where there was people who did get involved with it and I hung about with people who were very much about that kind of teenage gang kind of culture where you didn't really have anything to you didn't really have anything to cling on to and you didn't really even have much, and this kind of gave you an identity. And it made people who were, some people who were maybe a bit, you know, frightened of the world, basically. It gave them, like, gave them 
a reason to feel stronger because we've got to go back into their friends. It, it also just gave a lot of people something to do. Like, and I mean, this was 20 years ago when, when things weren't even, well, 20 odd years ago, this when things weren't even as bad as they are now in, in the UK in terms of the, the equality gap and stuff like that. So this one, one was obviously written a bit more kind of based on more kind of recent trends. But it just kind of shows you, it really shows you like a, a mindset into the tit for tat kind of culture, an eye for an eye. I think that's maybe the best way to put it, an eye for an eye kind of culture and how somebody who is clearly a very talented and, and bright individual can just very easily get sucked into this and the choices that they make. But because you've always got a choice, but often it really doesn't feel like you've got a choice. Yeah. And it really shows you like how in that kind of life, how it can always seem like you, you actually don't have a choice. Yeah, no, no, I think I think that's that, yeah, that's absolutely right. Like I think that it kind of sh- I think it it was really good at capturing the kind of the claustrophobic nature, I suppose, of that. You know, the the idea that you know people saying, "Oh, well, that, you know that that could never happen to me," and then you you when you see what uh, his world is like, you're like, "Well, does yeah, he, he would have to be incredibly." strong-willed to veer away from that yeah because one of the main things he because he doesn't have much in his life yeah he, he's got a he's got a mum that's, that's very supporting and and loves him and is kind of a wit's end to the kind of stuff he does a lot of time but a lot of the time he, stuff he does is driven by loyalty and loyalty is one of the few things he has in his life he has friends that are loyal to him and he is loyal to them and so when something happens and something happens to one of your friends it's not a good. It's not advantageous to you to go out and do something about it. However, there is an emotional pull that is almost like a need. It is not. It, it's not a choice. You go mm-hmm. and you do something about it. Yeah. No. No. I think that. I think that's that's absolutely right. And I think that it captures that really well. And it doesn't. It doesn't glorify the violent. You. Know, I think. No. It doesn't. I, think, I think that's the problem. Is that that because there's so little mainstream Scottish uh, work, well, actually not just Scottish, but working class voices, I suppose, is that when someone does something that has young people being kind of reprobate-ish, like, it's immediately, like, compared to train spotting, and I was yeah. like, well, uh, only in the sense that, like, they've all got heads. Like, like you know, they didn't... Like, didn't they... fucking glorify it either. No, no. It's, Anybody I, who's I, actually I, read it or watched the film. Yeah, I know, uh, but it's just this, this thing that everything... Ends up if it, if it's a, a male Scottish author that's not a crime story, then it's you know like oh well, must be must be train spotting like you know um, if if there's young people involved. It's also it's written in a style of train spotting. It's written in I can't remember. Uh, well, it's vernacular, it like it's yeah. written vernacular, like and I don't, which is, is is apparently a big thing for for some critics that can't get their can't get their head around the idea that 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 people might actually write how they speak. I keep, I keep meaning to watch his. Um, he did a three-part documentary on uh, the the young teams uh, for BBC Scotland, but I've not had oh, a really? chance to watch that yet. And he goes back and meets his own his old teachers and stuff like that as well. Oh wow! Is 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 that still an iPlayer? It should be. I think so. Oh, yes. oh class! I'll definitely seek that out. Because he he does have a a really distinctive voice. I would say you know, as a, as an author, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm kind of really excited to to see what he does next. Yeah, and it'd be interesting as well because. 
it's one of those ones you could tell there's probably a lot of pressure on, on him, like from himself as well, because his that was not not quite a memoir, but drawn from a lot of kind of personal experience. So, what do you, do you stay in that? Do you stay in that, or do you do you branch out and try to write something else? That's yeah, it will be interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Right, okay, so that's so that we have our we have our three. Here's a question I've just made up on the spot that I'm going to ask uh, everyone because it's it's book related. Fowler, do you have a favourite library? Oh, did I? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, Gorbals Library. It's about three minutes, three minute walk from here. I, I've got so many books, I've not checked anything out yet, but I do like to go there and basically just get out of the house when I'm doing work. So they just they allow you to come in with your laptop and if you're not sitting at a, a table that's been reserved for whatever reason that was in the other day and there was a table that I usually like to say I was reserved and I moved to another table and then I saw it was reserved for basically people I don't know who exactly who they worked for but I would imagine it was some sort of like charity work counselling asylum seekers on how they can try to find jobs and basically and giving them setting them up with interpreters and stuff and giving them advice I was I was doing work at the time so I was kind of couldn't really hear anything but I like I didn't tell what one guy was telling a story that was quite, you know, harrowing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Aye. So, so there's certainly a lot of good work going on there as well. And yeah, there, that's, there's uh, always there's always kids in there as well. Like there's always like it feels like very very much a community place, which is was well, becoming less and less of less and less of, and yeah, uh, that, yeah. that was the reason why I'm going to ask everyone that comes on just because I think there are amazing places that probably don't get as much love as they should um, and they certainly don't get the funding that they should given the exactly. given the, the whole things they do before we leave uh, Fowler had mentioned that I, I do um, read quite a bit so at the end of each of these episodes I'm just going to give quick recommendations on each of the categories of something I've read recently and it turns out I've not actually read that many football books this, this year but but Expect the Goals by Rory Smith I would recommend in the football category in the sports category I would recommend Hope and Glory by Anthony Broxton, that's about rugby league in the 1980s, and it is terrific. It places rugby league within the, the changing nature of Britain and, and all that that entails, and, and it ends you know, the long 80s, uh, basically, and leads to the creation of um, Super League and how all that is created in, in the kind of the backdrop of Thatcher's Britain. And then on uh, just a, a book that I've joined recently is George Plimpton, who I imagine might appear... At later dates in in the sports book, he he's done several good sports books, but he did a book about Truman Capote, uh, just called Truman Capote, and it's a oral history of other people talking about Truman Capote, who was a very very interesting character, and it is full of characters, is how I would describe it. Lots of absolutely bold name droppers and people being less than gallant and all these things and so it makes it just it, like it's just a, a it's such a page turner that i would i would thoroughly recommend it even if Capote himself did not have that fun of life especially towards the end i just speaking of george plimpton i well i've actually i've read um in cold blood from Capote, ah, yeah. but uh george plimpton i have read paper lion and funnily enough i rewatched when we were kings the other day again and he features the, the documentary and he yeah, he features hugely in it. Yes, he. he uh, I think with the success paper line, he he tried his hand at every other sport going. I think about yeah, paper line's the only one I've read. But this was our debut episode of the book club two point We'd just like to thank you, Craig Fowler, for for appearing, gracing us with your presence and your choices. 
Thank you very much, Duncan. And thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.